the Dallas Cowboys, America's team or America's frauds? We're going to get into that and a whole lot more. This is Football Friday. What is up, everybody? Happy Friday. It is INC Live Football Friday, as always. Iceman Matt Freitz, that's the coach, Brad Powell. The NFL playoffs are in full swing, and the Cowboys are out, as they usually are this time of year. Brad, welcome back to the show, buddy. It's good to see that face. Iceman, glad to be back. Uh, we need to I don't know, mark this down somewhere. What's this, two or three Fridays I know. in a row? Um, or weeks in a row, maybe last week. I guess it was Saturday instead of Friday. But we are uh, we're on a roll here, and we'll take that. Uh, experiencing some lovely winter weather here in central Illinois. We've gotten got a lot of snow last weekend, and uh, we did get a few inches of snow last night. Temperatures have been close to zero, uh, but it's going to be in the 40s like late next week, so we got a bit of a heat wave uh, coming through. Having a heat wave, a tropical heat wave. The temperature's rising. Oh, man. Yeah, you like that? He's got to pay double for that. Mm-hmm. So we actually did get some snow here. We got about six inches total, and that means two school closures because that's how we roll down here in the DMV. Hasn't been super, super cold. I guess it's been in like the 20s, but from what I understand, it's been a little bit colder. As you saw from the 69 phone calls that the Kansas City Chief fans gave in to people who went to the hospital, I think there was like 10 emergency room visits because people were just ridiculously stupid to go out in negative 40 degree wind chill to watch a team beat another team in a game that is about a football being thrown down the field. You know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. And I text you, um, I don't know if it's during the game or leading up to the game. And we had a little bit of a conversation and I know this is a little bit of old man, but man, I played football, I coach football, I'm a football fan. Bonus and fans. I know that this, there's this big stigma, right? Football weather. And I think that the whole football weather thing is a little overrated. And the reason I say that is um, I want to see the best possible product on the field. You know, these are the best football players in the world. And I want to see them performing at, at their peak, especially at playoff time. You know, that's why they play the Super Bowl at a neutral site that's either in a warm weather city or in a dome. Um, yeah, I know that like they've had it rain in Miami before during the Super Bowl. But, you know, how many Super Bowls? in the last, I don't know, 20 years, 30 years have been played in like inclement weather. I don't know of any. And so I, I don't know, man, like I I just want to see the best. I want to see the players at their best. And if that makes me soft, I guess that makes me soft. But at the end of the day, man, it's just about great football. And I'm sorry, but you're not going to see that in zero degree minus 40 wind chills or eight inches of snow or a mud bowl um, it's not, it's not going to get it, man. Yeah. And I don't know how you regulate that because there are so many places in the NFL in that are outdoors. And when it rains, it's like, what's the line for weather? Now I'm with you on this when it comes to extreme weather. Think about Buffalo, how they had to ask people in Buffalo. This is a billion dollar corporation asking citizens of Buffalo to come shovel them out because they had too much snow in the stadium and the extreme cold. Now, I think the snow a little bit less so sometimes because I think unless there is 
a ton of snow while the game is going on. It doesn't necessarily fundamentally change the way that football is played. But watching that Dolphins-Chiefs game the other night, the Dolphins looked like they had just learned to play football that morning. Tua looked so uncomfortable. He almost looked like he didn't know how to play football. Like At, at some points, he looked like a Neanderthal throwing a football for the first time, like a caveman coming out and being given this oblong thing and saying, throw this, do whatever it is you want with this. And the Chiefs played in the same weather, but obviously they have a little bit more time to prepare for that in that weather. They're used to playing in colder temperatures, at least the players that have been on there for a while. And they didn't look quite as ill-prepared for it, but the Dolphins had no chance. And that's not what you want in the playoffs. I understand that home field advantage, as you said, but I think we're reaching the point of sophistication where we can make it that this game that's already hard enough, it's already difficult enough with all the injuries, and why add weather on top of it? And to the point that it was so damn cold, Patrick Mahomes' helmet cracked. Think about that. Have you ever seen that before? No, I've never seen that. And, um, you know, I, I want to talk about that too here in a second. But I, I listened to Travis Kelsey on him and his brother's uh, podcast, and he was talking about how cold it was. And he said it was just flat out miserable. And said that, you know, anytime if he'd come out for a play or between series, he's like, I'm in front of the heater, man, trying to heat up my hands and my feet. He's like, I literally could not feel my hands or my feet for the majority of that game. And, um, you know, he talked about some of the stuff guys were doing to try to stay warm, but there's only so much you can do when it's that cold. And that's the tough part is like, it's not that it's just uncomfortable to be out in those temperatures. Like your hands and your feet freeze. We've all been there out in cold where all of a sudden like, you can't grip things as well. You don't have the same sensation like in your hands and your fingers that you do um, when it's a normal temperature. I mean, it changes things. And and also the fact that there's no way to simulate that. If you're a warm weather, if you're Miami or Arizona or well, some of these teams in Southern California, there's no way to simulate that environment. Um, and then I get, well, hey, you should win so you have home field advantage. But it's just such a, I don't know. I just feel like it's such an ignorant take because playing in poor weather, we don't get the best. And you mentioned the helmet cracking, and I actually came across a TikTok of a sales rep for Vices, and that's who makes uh, Patrick Mahomes' helmet. And the cool part about it, because there are people freaking out, like, oh, my God, this must mean that helmet's a piece of crap and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, this dude said, first of all, he said, let me ask you three questions. He said, did the helmet do its job? Answer, yes. Um, how often is, you know, because, I mean, yes, the pros are the pros, but they get to pick their helmets. There's plenty of choices. But if you're a high school athlete, a youth football player, you just kind of get whatever's available in the program. It's like how many youth players are going to encounter hits of that velocity and how many youth players are going to be playing in those temperatures and conditions? Because um, obviously plastic does get more brittle the colder it gets. And I thought they were great points. I mean, in my opinion, like the helmet did exactly what it was supposed to do. The helmet failed before it caused him an injury, which is it's the same way that like a lot of cars are built, man. Like they're built to break before it gets to a point where it hurts you. And I think it did that. And if I was that company, I'd be using that um, in a marketing in some sort of positive marketing way if I could. But unfortunately, most of the public are too ill-informed to realize that what happened was actually a good thing. Yeah, what's funny is they hone in on the helmet not working and not on the fact that football is inherently dangerous. 
Like the reason that this happened is because two men's head collided at full speed. And it's like, that's not the problem. The helmet failed. Well, how often is anybody doing that kind of activity in the kind of weather that they had? Now, you've had that kind of weather. Schools have closed. You've been working from home at times. It's not safe to go outside on the regular. So you try to limit your exposure outside to the least amount of exposure as possible, taking your kids somewhere or going to the store, whatever. But playing a game on this field for four hours and not just any game, but a game where people are, again, hitting each other, the fact that a helmet has never had this issue and this is the first time I've ever seen it in 40 years of life tells me that these helmet manufacturers have been doing a good job at what they're supposed to do. And as you pointed out, people are just ignorant about how all of this works. And it's just funny to me how people get disassociated with those things where football's cool, but, oh, man, the helmets can't crack because that's just a bridge too far. Yeah, I mean, but Patrick Mahomes didn't even know it broke. You know, I mean, and that's what that's what's so great about it. He had no idea that it even broke. The helmet did its job. It's uh, it's one of those deals where you could tell the helmet obviously absorbed the blow, which is what it's designed to do. And some of these other manufacturers, other helmets, don't do that all the time. You know, that that blow transfers into the head, and the per, that's where these concussions and stuff come from. And yes. we have a guest. Yes, an early, early guest picker tonight. So we will set up our guest picker. But I agree with you about this stuff with the helmet. And I just I thought it was funny. Now, to me, it was indicative of the ridiculousness of the game. Not, to me, indicative of the failing of the helmet, if that makes sense. So I thought people were focused on the wrong thing, as they usually yeah. are. So we will break down Wild Card Weekend in a minute, but we have some business to attend to. So, James Allen, welcome to the show. How are you? Excellent. What have you been wearing all day today? Painted my mittens to the pajamas. That is correct. Nice. And you were home today because you had a snow day, right? Yeah. Yes. He has had two snow days this week, the first real snow days he has ever had because his school actually closed. This is the first snow we've gotten in the DMV, I think, in two years. So, wow. The DMV. Nice try. So anyway, so James is up here, as he usually is every Friday, to pick games. Now, it's been a couple of weeks because last week he was in bed because he had stayed up too late the night before because we went live on Saturday instead of Friday. So... James is 12 and 8 on this season, still a very, very respectable record, I think, for a three year old. He picked Michigan to win the national title, which we know came true. Sorry to our Pacific Northwest friend, but the prognosticator of prognosticators was correct. He also picked the Dolphins to beat the Bills in Miami with the division on the line. Not only did they lose that game, James, they lost the next week in sub zero temperature. So, are you ready to redeem yourself this week? Yeah. Excellent. We're going to pick two games from this weekend slate. There are four NFL games. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay. Detroit. Detroit. Who is going to win? Detroit. And that is the Lions to beat the Bucks. Very good. The Lions are six and a half point favorites at home. We'll break that down. Okay. So we have that one. That's a solid pick, I think. Are you ready for the next one? Kansas City. Kansas City. Buffalo. Buffalo. Who's going to win? Kansas City. Okay. And that is the Chiefs to beat the Bills in Buffalo. Patrick Mahomes' first ever road playoff game. The Bills are two and a half point favorites at home in that game. 
So to recap, we have the Lions over the Bucks and the Chiefs over the Bills in what is considered an upset. James, that those are two actually pretty fantastic picks, I think, uh, for a guy who knows absolutely nothing about football. And we couldn't ask him if the Lions would win because who are your favorite teams? The Lions and the Dolphins and the and the Cowboys. Okay, so we have a couple of losers there, but the Lions are still in it, and James will be watching furiously as Baker Mayfield and the Bucks head into Detroit to face MCDC and the old Lions. So what else would you like to say to Coach Brad and everybody who is watching right now? The father was one, two, three, four. There is four games. Thank you for letting everybody know that. And you have picked two of them because we need to ease you into this. You started out picking one. You were excellent. Once we got two, things started to go off the rails a little bit. So we are going to keep it at two games. Would you say good night to everybody? And you will see everybody next week. Yeah. Can you say it, actually? <laughs> good night, everybody. And I'll see you next week. And I'll see you next week. All right, buddy. Thank you so much for coming night, up James. Here. Say good night. Good night. All right, dude. Thank you so much. Two solid picks there. We could yeah. could have our first two two and zero week. You never know. It's kind of a kind of a pick 'em with the Bills and Chiefs. Good night, buddy. I'll see you in the morning. Okay. Okay, buddy. All right. <laughs> yeah, these are gonna be uh, these are gonna be four good football games. I think. I mean, we thought we were gonna we only got really one good game last week, which was sort of disappointing. But yeah, I, I think that uh, I think we're gonna get four good games. Which I'm looking forward to. And uh, one last thing, not to keep digging up the thing about the cold, but I was sitting here thinking about how, like, when it was, you know, zero degrees here, neg- negative four or five, the wind chill was like negative 30 or 40. And, like, I went out to start my truck, man. And it was like, vroom, vroom. I mean, and like, even when I drove for the first 15 minutes of driving it, it was just sluggish. So I'm like, this is a piece of machinery, man, that doesn't even want to operate at its optimal. Um, performance, you know, in these conditions, let alone a human being that's much more fragile um, than this. <laughs> and so uh, it's just, it's wild, man. But uh, whatever, it's that's behind us. I mean, who knows? The conditions in Buffalo this week might be terrible. That is true. So before we get to next week's games, we're going to recap or sort of talk about some of the narratives from this past games. And I think the one that everybody was talking about this week was the Green Bay Packers and Jordan Love going into Dallas and not just beating the Dallas Cowboys, but absolutely shellacking the Dallas Cowboys, embarrassing them, bullying them, whatever facsimile of those words you'd like to use. The Dallas Cowboys played awful. They looked awful. And it was another early exit for the Cowboys. And the talk of the town this past week has been about changes that should come in Dallas. And the one I've been calling for for years that isn't happening is Mike McCarthy is going to remain the head coach. And I want to debate that a little bit with you. But first, I want to ask you about the Cowboys because this is not just a one-and-done situation where, hey, you have a bad week, it happens in the NFL. This is a continuing trend with them since the, the Jimmy Johnson days. And at some point, something has to change for them. And I don't understand how they can continue to keep or to continue to see the same results and keep doing the same thing but I want to hear your thoughts first because I think you're a little bit less passionate about how crappy Mike McCarthy is as a head coach. Just a little bit, but I think we see a lot of teams that are what I would call like above average teams, right? Like a B minus team. And I would consider the Cowboys that. And 
they've been very consistently that for a few years now. And I don't know what what you would see that would make you believe that that team as it exists is ready to go win a championship. It's not like they got caught by a couple of bad breaks. It's not like it's a rookie quarterback that's, that's still finding his way. I mean, the, this team's made up of a lot of veteran players, and they've got a veteran head coach that's won a Super Bowl. They've won a lot of football games. And it just, and again, too, I think that it depends on like the standard of the organization. You know, if this was, if this was Cleveland or Cincinnati or yes. um, Chicago, even, or something, I mean, if this was a lot of other places, this wouldn't even be a story. But it's the fact that it's the Cowboys and that, you know, there's a standard there. There's an expectation, realistic or not. That's just the way it is. And if winning the division and winning, you know, 10 plus games every year is is not acceptable if that's not an acceptable floor then i don't i don't know how you can keep it together you got to make a change if 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 you want the results to change then you need to change uh, some part of the equation because it you know what that is whether that's the quarterback or the head coach or other personnel i mean those are the two that stick out that are the most public figures but uh, it's it's difficult, man. It really is. And that's the thing. You touched on what I've been debating with people all week is this is the Dallas Cowboys. This is a proud franchise that has done a lot of winning in their time and winning under this owner and under the current structure of the NFL. Go all, even, it's all the way back 30 years now, but with all of the trades that they made, building through the draft, even in the salary cap era in everything, they were successful. There's a reason why they are the kind of brand that they are and why they're called America's team. And so for me, when I see that they have 12 win seasons, but they don't make it past the first round, that's not good enough if I'm a Cowboys fan. And it shouldn't be good enough if you are Jerry Jones. And what frustrates me for Cowboy fans is that Jerry Jones thinks he is playing this game in which he is all in, but he's being ultra conservative with the moves that he's making. And I'm not necessarily talking about on the field. I'm talking about with coaching. In my opinion, you need to have the right coaches with the right players in order to win. Very rarely do you have the wrong coaches and the right players and it all works out. Sometimes you might luck into that, but for the most part, they have to go hand in hand. Jimmy Johnson was the right guy for the players that they got, right? Bill Belichick, the right guy when Tom Brady came along. Use any Super Bowl guy, and you have to have the right players with the right coach. And so I don't understand how Jerry can look at Jason Garrett, the entire tenure of that, the last three years of everything we've seen from Mike McCarthy, and we're not talking like the players just let Mike McCarthy down. He has had time management errors, play-calling weirdness. Like, there's so many things you could point to. And so for Jerry to be like, well, let's run it back one more year to find out. Well, how many more years do you need to know that you have peaked with this team under Mike McCarthy and possibly under Dak Prescott? I just don't understand. He's he making an ultra-conservative move for a guy who should, and, and honestly, he has the kind of money to just shove his chips all in every single year. It doesn't matter. I don't understand why he's not doing that. Yeah, and it, it does come down to the the standard again because when – when you look at a coach, you could say, all right, like if I fire this guy, who am I going to get 
that I really fully believe is going to be better. That's that's got that little something that this team is missing that's going to take them to the next level. And if you don't even know who that is, then it's like it is kind of pointless to fire the guy. I mean, the guy's had success, so there's no denying that. But if at the same time, though, like if this isn't good enough, if, if what's happening is not good enough and is not meeting the standard, then you have to make a change. So you need to decide what's your standard. Okay. Is this guy, is he doing the, doing a good enough job to, to meet that standard uh, based off what we've seen over the past three years? I would say no. And I'm sure that, you know, uh, what is he not doing that he's going to do moving forward? That's going to make the difference. That's the big question that I have. And when I, that's what's so difficult. And I I look back in history and I think a lot of it, I mentioned this to you. um, I mentioned this to you through text. I think a lot of it comes down to Jerry Jones and him being the, him being able to be hands-on and have influence because I mean, Jimmy Johnson came off a Super Bowl and he let the guy go. And yeah, Barry Switzer came in and won another one, but basically with the same players. It wasn't like Barry Switzer was the straw that stirred the drink type of thing. I mean, that system was already in place, similar to when John Gruden rolled into Tampa and won a Super Bowl with, you know, Tony Dungy's team that he built. And so when you see what he did with Jason Garrett and what what seems like he's doing now with Mike McCarthy, it's like he's clinging to these guys that are so average. Yes. And you cut ties with the best coach you've ever had. Or well, not, Sorry, you know, all due respect to Tom Landry. You cut you cut ties with um, one of the best coaches you've ever had in your organization just because he would not sign on for you having more direct influence to what happens on the field. That was purely it. It was a pure ego move. And now here we are. That's when you get however many years of Jason Garrett and we're going to get however many more years of Mike McCarthy because it seems like they are uh, they are yes men that are going to bend the knee to Jerry. And as long as that's the way things are going to exist, I wouldn't expect any change. It is the height of delusion, in my opinion, because as an owner. Now, OK, OK, so let's back up a second. I think I need to give some like the reason why I have this opinion is because I think that this has worked best when you look at the history of the NFL. In my opinion, the best owners are the ones that write the checks and they let the football people do the jobs that they have been hired for. And for me, Jerry Jones, having been the GM for as long as he has been the GM, with no championships to speak of, lets me know that he's doing ownership the wrong way. Now, it's not my organization. It's not my money. So I'm not going to tell Jerry Jones how to spend his money or his time. But I think that the proof has been in the pudding. The results have shown that he's not the guy who can write the checks and be the football guy. And... I know that this is a tired argument for Jerry, but something's got to give. And this is what frustrates me about the Cowboys because their fans can be obnoxious as hell because they have all these credentials, America's team and so forth. And it's been a long time since they've won. And so I can understand why they cling to all that from the past. Talk to Patriots fans in 30 years will probably be the same way. But man, I just don't understand. Like I, I understand, like, okay, so maybe we can't change it next year, but the point of blowing it up and starting over is so that you can get back to it. Because if there's any franchise that can get back super quick, it's got to be the Cowboys, right? Because he has so much money and resources that he can pump into it. But the longer that he keeps doing this, Jason Garrett had his job for 10 years, man. 
and he was 500 a lot of those years outside of a couple of years. It's it might blows my mind. Marvin Lewis we make fun of, but the Bengals were nothing before he got there. So the standard that he had set was good enough for that organization. It is not good enough and should not be good enough for the Dallas Cowboys. But here we are after another embarrassing playoff loss. And I feel bad for Mike because he knows next year there's no hope. They're going to be a 10, 11, 12 win team and look exactly the same way in the playoffs. And he knows it. And apparently Jerry's the only one who doesn't know it. You know what may be lost in all this is that maybe Jerry Jones is just one loyal son of a gun. Um, maybe he is a super great guy to work for. And all of these, all this perception is just that, just public perception that isn't accurate, possibly. Um, and, but again, that it reverts back. It all goes back to the standard. What's the standard that you want to set? If you're, if Jerry Jones is okay with this, and I mean, I don't know that he has to like verbalize it necessarily, but like, just, I, I think you need to, in some way, shape, or form, make it clear, and maybe he is doing that through his actions, that this is this is enough for him. And that's uh, fine. But, but they, they they show him, you know, they show him, you know, basically, you know, stressed out all red-faced in the luxury box and stuff throughout the game because it's like that's just the narrative. And uh, the truth is probably somewhere somewhere in between. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know uh, what happens with the Cowboys, especially if next year – rolls out exactly the same or worse. I mean, I think they'll, they would, if, if that happened next year and there's not a change, then Cowboys fans might need to move on to greener pastures. Yes, and what got lost in this entire game was how well the Packers played. Like, they just yeah. blew the doors off the Cowboys. Jordan Love, I got to tell you this, he throws a really, really great football, and they're all playing together as a team. They're that kind of team that you always talk about. They get hot at the right time. They're dangerous. They have nothing to lose. And the Cowboys have not played well against those teams in the last few years. And the Packers moving on, they looked just, they looked amazing. All the flaws that they had during the season, most of them defensively, did not come to fruition in this game. But I think the usually the cream rises to the top in the NFL. So who knows how long they can keep it up. But for one week, Jordan Love gets his first playoff win. He cements himself as the guy in Green Bay. And he may have earned himself a paycheck, my man. Like, that's all, that all got lost because we were all talking about Dallas. But Green Bay deserves all the props because they pretty much played perfectly the entire game. Yeah, and we mentioned this last week. Talk about winning the quarterback lottery uh, for Maybe. basically three decades is what it appears. And um, if that's the way it pans out, my goodness. And it, it, you could not, you know, two teams that are, fairly geographically close two fan bases that overlap and the bears and the Packers that overlap geographically. And just, they are the polar opposites when yes. it comes to the quarterback position. And it is, it's hilarious. Cause I kind of have a front row seat to a lot of it. And, um, and not as I'd a be, fan I mean, of the team either. So you get no, to watch not as this a fan of either team. So I, I mean, I just get to watch it as a, as a spectator without a dog in the fight. And it is, it's solid gold sometimes, but, um, I mean, I can't imagine how Packers fans, I mean, they were probably relieved. I think they were, excuse me, Bears fans. I think Bears fans were relieved a little bit when Rodgers moved on. It's like, okay, finally. And then here we are again. Yes, here we are again is correct. So moving to a team in that same division, MCDC gets the playoff win. First time, I think, since 1991 
that the Detroit Lions won a playoff game. And fun fact, it was against the Dallas Cowboys in 1991. And I think that was the Troy Aikman team a year before they went on their Super Bowl run. So the Lions get a gritty playoff performance. I think you could say that. It was a tough game. It was an emotional game for many reasons. But the Lions pulled it off. And they looked good running the football in this game. I thought Jared Goff looked good under center. He looked like he kind of commanded the offense. You can tell that this team respects Jared Goff, which I think most people didn't think would happen when he went to Detroit. A lot of people thought they sent him off and his career was going to be over. The only thing about this game that I took away in a negative way for the Lions was Matt Stafford obviously coming back to town, and the Rams had a great season in their own right. They could have won this football game, but it happens sometimes where you just fall short. I didn't like the Lions fans booing Matt Stafford when he came onto the field because having I'm not a Detroit Lions fan at all in, in my past, but this guy balled out for that team. And at the end of what could be his career, he's looking at the landscape and the Lions are looking at the landscape and they decided, I thought the organization decided they wanted to do him a solid by trading him to a contender. And Matt Stafford seemed to handle it the right way, won a Super Bowl right after that, and I have not heard him say anything negative about Lions fans outside of that AT&T commercial. But I just thought it was, I don't want to say Bush League, but it definitely didn't make me feel good because I thought that's a guy who balled out for an organization that, for the most part, didn't ball out for its fans at all. Yeah, it's a tough situation. On one hand, I agree with everything that you said. But at the same time, I could see like, hey, man, like we love you. We're going to root for you. But this is, you know, once you come in here, like it's this is a different story, man. Like you're on the other team. Like and, um, you know, and after the game, we can we can shake hands and be buddies. But for the next few hours, like you're the enemy. And so, I mean, I could get that side of it. But, yeah, the dude, you know, they kept showing his wife and kids, you know, as kids were were born there and you know, I think they had jackets on that said like Detroit born LA raised and stuff like that and if anything I think that would have probably been hurtful for his wife and daughters you know because I think this was probably an emotional experience for them coming back just a lot of conflicting emotions the wife made it sound like the daughters even had like some conflict about who they were supposed to be rooting for um in the game you know and they're like well obviously we're going to root for dad but um and then to hear him be booed, I mean, it's definitely, you know, maybe you'd like to see a little more grace in that in that moment from the fans. But um, I, I don't know if I'm going to take too many shots at the Lions fans because, you know, you hear that, like, act like you've been there before. But they haven't, man. Like, they haven't been in, you know, when's the last time they played a game that was that meaningful? And then you add, you know, sort of that emotion on top of it. And uh, while I didn't like it so much, I'm willing to give him a little bit of a pass on the situation. And, uh, you know, we've seen worse for sure. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I've seen a few things in the news. I haven't seen anything that was too crazy other than just the booze. I don't know if there was anyone making any sort of crazy comments towards his family or anything derogatory. No, I'm not outraged by it. It's more of a... I would like to at least have the fans give him a little bit of respect and then go into that mode. Now, one thing, football doesn't allow for this, but baseball allows for usually the first time a guy comes up when he comes back to town, gets standing ovation, game stops for a minute, and then the second that that's over, they boo him. So football doesn't necessarily allow for that. 
But I'm with you on, hey, he's part of the opposing team. You're not going to root for him. But I was only thinking the first time he's back on this field, it's the first time he's come back since he left. Give him a little something because this was one of your guys for a while. Do you think it would have been different had it been with if two things were different? One, if it were a regular season game. Two, if it wasn't that these were the two quarterbacks that were traded for each other, if that wasn't a piece of it either, you know, because I mean, the Lions are the point where it's like, it did feel like Jared Goff was basically, like you said, sent off, sent off to, to die basically, or for his career to die. And, um, you know, that obviously hasn't happened. And the, the Lions fans have really embraced him. It's got that whole underdog thing. And so I think that that's a piece of it too, possibly just the, there were a lot of different factors that were wrapped up in the moment. I think had it been a, if this game happened week seven, I, I think that you would have seen maybe a warmer reception. And not that that's an excuse. I just think that this particular game had, like I said, a lot of factors playing into it. Um, and speaking of Jared Goff, you know, that just shows that sometimes, sometimes it's just a matter of a fit, man. Like the the right city, the right, uh, the right coaches, the right team. I mean, because, I mean, yeah, he went to the Super Bowl in L.A., but a lot of people think that the Rams went made it to the Super Bowl despite Jared Goff, and uh, and obviously the proof was in the pudding next year when they brought in Matthew Stafford and won it. Uh, not to say that's an indictment on Jared Goff directly, but you could draw that conclusion, and then the guy goes to, and he never felt like L.A. really anyways, right? And uh, he goes to Detroit, man, and like he feels like a guy that should be the quarterback of the Detroit Lions, and I think that, you know, he's embraced the fan base and they've embraced him. And, you know, when you got a guy that's leading the, the that team like Dan Campbell, it's just uh, they got something special going on right now in Detroit. I don't know how far they're going to be able to ride it um, because in the end it does come down to talent and execution and all those things that win football games. But um, I, I like seeing it because they're doing it a little bit differently than we've really seen anybody do it. You know, you hear about all these offensive masterminds. Um, it's all about the new, young, hot, flashy coach. And Dan Campbell is, is not that. And um, here they are. Right coach, right players at the right time. That's almost always the formula. Like I'm telling you, there are rarely times in the NFL where a team just lucks into winning. Even those Eli Manning teams that beat Brady and the Patriots, all those things had to happen for them to get there. Tom Coughlin was the right guy. Eli Manning was the right guy. You know, like there's so many things. And I think Jared Goff wasn't the right guy for what Sean McVay wanted to do. But he's the perfect guy for what Dan Campbell wants to do. And I think Dan Campbell, too, is the kind of coach. And I don't know if you remember this, but in Dan Campbell's first year when they got their first win, I think it was right after a mass shooting in Detroit or Michigan State or something like that, they get this win. And the hug between Dan Campbell and Jared Goff was so genuine and so pure. And I got the sense that that might be the start of something. These two guys are bought into this in a way that is personal. Like, they're here for each other, and you get that sense. Dan Campbell cares deeply about that football team, about every guy that's on there. And I think that's why there's such an endearing story. And you're right. Everything that is happening for the Lions, no matter how far that they get, is all because of everything converging on itself. And let's be fair, you could make the argument that both franchises won that trade. The Lions won because all the pieces that they got, including Jared Goff, got them to where they are now. The Rams and Matt Stafford won a Super Bowl. Win-win. 
that's one of those rare trades where you feel like, wow, everything kind of worked out for everybody. And so the Lions move on, the Rams go home. I don't think Matt Stafford's going to retire, but certainly getting up there, probably thinking about it. But a playoff loss sometimes can motivate you a little bit. So he has a lot to build on for next year. And speaking of building on, I knew this was going to happen. All of America knew this was going to happen. And Baker Mayfield and the Bucks beat the Eagles, and they beat him soundly. The story here is, of course, the Eagles. We talked about Sirianni last week, but I want to start with Baker because I've been saying for a while that Baker is the comeback player of the year, and I love that he got a little bit of a redemption story after everything that happened in Cleveland. And I think, again, right guy, right players, right time. It's all working out. And the Bucks, even if they get stomped this weekend against the Lions, this is a good story. Baker's a good story, and I'm really happy for the guy. Yeah, I'm super happy for him. Um, I, I've been very open about my uh, my fandom of Baker Mayfield. I like him a lot. Uh, I like he's got that little kind of underdog chip on his shoulder sort of deal. We talked about how we thought maybe uh, his experience in Cleveland kind of humbled him a little bit. And I think that maybe some of those things that uh, some of those traits he exhibited early on in his career that made him a little undesirable or unlikable to folks have uh, you know kind of gone away to some degree. And it, obviously he's got a team that, that believes in him that's rallying around him. And uh, I mean, even you know, even Dan Campbell uh, mentioned in a press conference this week how, how much respect he has for Baker Mayfield and said that when he was uh, back when Baker was coming out of college, that Dan Campbell was down there for a pro day to look at some receivers at, uh, at Oklahoma. And, you know, you got Baker here who's going to go you know, the top 10, end up going number one. He's going to go top 10 in the draft. He knows that. And um, he had had a workout. Baker had had a workout himself the day before, had one later that day somewhere else. And he was out there throwing for his receivers. He's like, you don't ever see that. Normally guys are like, oh, I got to save my arm, whatever. And he's like, you know, that's a good teammate, you know. And, uh, you know, kind of talked about stuff like that and how much respect he had for the guy. And I think that, you know, we're seeing some of that come to fruition for Baker now, which is which is really nice. When you go back and look at Baker's career trajectory in the NFL, taking out Carolina in in the Rams last year, because Carolina obviously was a football team that was not ready to win in any way. And obviously the Rams were in shambles last year with all the injuries. They were just trying to keep it together. But when I think about his time with the Browns, the more time that goes by, and this year specifically has made me feel more strongly about this, I think he got hosed by the Browns, and they made a major mistake getting rid of him. And they got rid of him because Odell Beckham, who in my opinion was not washed, but very close to washed back then, got him kicked off the team, basically. And where did that leave them? Nowhere. Right. No, that's a really good point. Uh, that's a great point. Here's a question for you. I mean... Are the Bucks are the Bucks going to bounce back from Brady faster than the Patriots did? It's possible because they do have this core that was still kind of remaining from the Brady years, but they still had a lot of problems this year. They were only nine and eight. Keep that in mind. And Mike Evans getting closer to the end of his career than he is toward the beginning. It depends on how they draft and if they're all bought in on Baker Mayfield after this year. It's very possible that they could be a consistent playoff contender for a few years here. But is he are they going to recover in the kind of way that they are winning Super Bowls? That might be a stretch. But you never know. This could be the kind of year where they build upon that 
And if they, again, build around Baker and continue to do what they did this year, which was allow him to be maximum Baker and allow them to win football games, then there is a chance. But the Patriots obviously did not do that very well with Mac Jones, and we've learned so many things about them since then. But I think, again, Todd Bowles, he's not really a guy, like he's not the kind of coach who's volatile in any way. And that has been something that has been a criticism of him. Except, I don't know, did you see his answering of the question from the yeah, reporter? Like, I was just thinking about that. I was too. I've watched that far too many times, but every time I watch it, and for those of you who are watching or listening whenever you get to this, Todd Bowles was asked about whether Tampa and his team was concerned about the weather in Detroit when they go and play the Lions because the reporter rattled off all of the weather stats and he just smiled and very politely said, you do know they play in a dome, right? And, you know, we're not concerned about the weather at all because they play in a dome. I, I laughed so hard at that, and I wasn't even laughing at the reporter. But also, isn't that the reporter's job, man? Like, can we not take a poke a little bit of fun at this reporter for asking, honestly, a stupid question? Yeah, it's like, what planet are you on? Like, are, did you just get dropped out of outer space and asked to go uh, to this press conference like you have zero idea about the, the fact that the Detroit Lions play indoors I, I don't know how you could be sports media and be completely oblivious to that fact um, let's but, be fair you did not know that Joe Girardi got fired so we have made well, these mistakes on the show before but you could not be people who are getting paid to do this for a living and make that mistake in my opinion okay that's a fair point and I do want to say that maybe this reporter newer got dropped in there when they're not really used to doing football yeah, coverage or whatever. Or something. They're like, yeah. hey, we need you to go. Never know. But, oh, my goodness, out of context, not knowing any of that information, just a terrible question. So just a terrible question. What if question. somebody set her up? What if she was, like, filling in because someone got sick last minute and they said, hey, like, please make sure you ask him about how they're going to handle the weather in Detroit, you know, knowing that she had no idea and teeter up for that. Maybe, but isn't a simple Google search something that should be in the cards if you're brand new? Like, if I'm brand new and I, I'm not taking somebody's word for it, like if somebody says, make sure to ask about the weather, I'm looking up all these factors. And probably one of the first things I'm going to find is, wait, they play in a dome. Why would I ask that? And that that seems to be something reasonable, although today people make Google searches for things and think that they're experts or don't know what to search for. So maybe that's not something that's reasonable to ask for at all i don't know yeah who knows man but uh either way it was a funny moment for sure absolutely funny moment also a funny moment is what's happening in philly with the eagles i, I don't know what to make of this situation because i've talked to a few people so our buddy cleave is on the train that nick sirianni should be fired now cleave also fires everybody so i'm not sure how much water that holds i'm on the boat that you don't fire him right now but this is philly this is not a city that has a lot of patience for this kind of thing. And when you start at 10 and 1, finish 1 and 6, including a playoff loss, and you went to the Super Bowl last year, that currency is gone. The Super Bowl currency is gone. But I think it's a little bit rash to fire the guy unless there's something that you really can point to that is the linchpin for why this team faded so badly down the stretch. To me, I think it's a lot of factors. And I think you got to give Sirianni a little bit more time to right the ship. Yeah, you have to look at it and say, what broke on the Eagles this year? And was that something that was directly 
um, related to Nick Sirianni in some way, some way, shape, or form or, or fell on his shoulders? And if so, do you think that it's something that he's able to fix? You know, are there fractured relationships with star players on the team? Because if so, like, guess what, man? Like, we've seen in pro sports, like, you could be the biggest uh, – uh, the best coach you could be, but the stars are going to win out at the end of the day if they have to come. If it comes down to picking and choosing between um, Jalen Hurts or Nick Sirianni, um, Nick Sirianni better start looking for a new job. Yeah, uh, they they paid Jalen already. Yeah, and so it, it, it depends on the circumstances. I think obviously they feel like he can be the guy moving forward because they're going to retain him. But similar to the Mike McCarthy conversation, I think you need to look and say, um, okay, like. Do we really believe that this guy can get us there? Do we think that there's something that he, he can that he has control over that he can change and do differently and improve upon that's going to get this team a championship or at least put them in a position to compete for championships consistently? And if you don't feel good about that, then like why drag out the process? You know, I, I feel like in the NFL, I feel like in pro sports in general, like I feel like whether, whether it's quarterbacks, like starting quarterbacks, or head coaches, I feel like it's pretty apparent pretty quick if they've got it or they don't. And so, but I think some people hang on way too long. I don't disagree, but my rationale for keeping him, giving him another year, if they start out flat next year, then you know it's not going to be fixed. But he just brought them to the Super Bowl, and he was like the talk of the town last year. Things did not go well, and as you pointed out, if there are relationships that are fractured, I get that but maybe give him time to see if he can bring them back together. But it's going to be a difficult road because they're losing Jason Kelsey who's going to be retiring. The league has figured them out. So, and if they ban, if they ban the, the tush push or the brotherly shove, then this team has a lot that they have to overcome. I just personally would, would he want to hear from Nick Sirianni, of course, and talk to the players. Get him but, on. Yeah, I would love to get him on. But it seems to me that, I would give him a little bit of time because, as you pointed out earlier, well, if you're going to get rid of the guy, who are you going to bring in to make all of this work again? And their success is not that far away. Like, they were a couple of plays from winning the damn Super Bowl. So it's just interesting, though, because it, it, Philadelphia and the Eagles are a great example of it matters more in some of these cities. The SEC talks about how it matters more, but... Philly, Boston, New York, L.A., this shit matters way more when this stuff happens. And people lose their jobs a lot faster in some of these cities than they do in other places. And I think it's just a great example of it. But Philly fans, for some reason, are they're more entertaining to watch because I think that they're some of the more volatile and fanatical fans when it comes to this kind of stuff. So it's interesting to watch as an outsider's perspective. Oh, I definitely agree. And I have a question for you in relation to the Eagles. So yes. um, Jason Kelsey, right? I like Jason Kelsey. He seems like a man's man, funny guy. Yep. Does it seem like they're making a much bigger deal out of his retirement than we'd see out of any other center that would retire? Yes. I mean, now, granted, he's probably the most well-known center in the league. I'll admit that. And I, obviously, he's Travis Kelsey's brother who's dating Taylor Swift. They have a podcast. I mean, so there's a lot of other factors that, maybe contribute to this from a popularity side of things. But it just seems like everywhere I look, I'm seeing Jason Kelsey retiring, Jason Kelsey retiring. I'm like, what's I, this happens every day in the NFL. It's news because of all the other stuff you mentioned. His brother, the Taylor Swift thing, really. The Kelsey's blew up in the last year because they played each other in the Super Bowl. 
There was a documentary made about them. And now one of them is dating Taylor Swift. They have one of the most popular, if not the popular sports podcast. We are right underneath them in the nation. <laughs> and I get it to an extent. And they're, he's one of the good guys. I think too often we don't recognize the good guys. But I agree that it's a little strange to get this kind of love for a center because centers have come and gone on a lot better teams in the NFL than this guy. But, hey, look, he put in the hard work. He had a great career, Super Bowl champion once, could have been twice, and parlaying that into what he's going to parlay that in, he's going to make just as much money not playing center as he is playing center. I think it's just the nature of where we are, my man, is these things are much more highlighted than they ever were. And you can be a center now and be a popular guy. I mean, I think that's what it is, too. He's the first offensive lineman we found wholly interesting. Then, I mean, can you name another one that's this interesting and this out in the spotlight that currently plays? No, that's it. It's more his celebrity, I guess, than anything else. Because, you know, Joe Thomas retired a few years ago, one of the best offensive linemen to play the game. And it was was like you'd have to turn to, like, uh, if the newspapers were still a thing, you'd have to turn like the last page of the sports section to even see that, you know. So, um, and he's got and a podcast too, by the way. He does. You know what? I don't. I've heard of him on like uh, the sports shows on TV and different things. I don't care for his takes, man. Yeah. Like, I disagree with a lot of his opinions. But you listen because you disagree with them. See, that's what we need to build. I don't upon really. Here. Just a few that I've heard. He's a much better lineman than he is a media personality. That's interesting. That's a that's a good segue. I know that we're talking about this and we're going to try to have a shorter show this week, but the changing of the sports media thing. Now, I did that monologue about Pat McAfee, Steve Minet and all that, but I don't even want to talk about that. It's the fact that now former players have this platform that they never used to have. People want to hear from these guys in one way or the other. And you talk about Joe Thomas. I find him to be the same way as you do. But somebody who I actually have come to enjoy listening to is actually Cam Newton for some reason because I find his honesty to be very refreshing. And also when he is asked about the opinions that he has, has an actual intelligent answer to go along with it. It's not just because, well, I played in the league. And we are in a place now where players have that platform and are taking advantage of it. And I think it is lending itself to this idea of sports media being so muddy and so not clear about what it was, like journalism's kind of gone. I mean, somebody called me a journalist the other day. They're like, you're a journalist now. You can have an opinion on this stuff. I'm like, I'm not a journalist, but you're absolutely right. I can have an opinion. I can go live anytime I want and give my opinion. And you know what? A lot of people want to hear it over the traditional people that we've heard opinions from before. And that's just kind of, the road that we're going down and Jason Kelsey very much a beneficiary of that. Joe Thomas is just another product of, I mean, can you imagine what we're going to hear when we have like the Tua podcast or the Dak Prescott podcast or something like that? People have been calling for Nick Saban and Bill Belichick to start a podcast together and just be two old head coaches talking and telling stories. That would be amazing. It'd be like listening to uh, James Earl Jones, man. It just put you to sleep, you know, just be the most monotone, voiced podcast in the history of podcasting but see that'd Uh, be really interesting i have no doubt that it'd be the content would be tremendous but you'd have to get past the um like i said the monotone the monotone voice but i think one reason this stuff is so popular 
is because, you know, I kind of look, these are all basically, you know, they are independent entities. They are not working for major media companies. And so they don't have to toe the company line. You know, they don't have any agenda that they have to protect or fall within or, or spin a certain narrative. They can just tell it like it is and tell the truth, man. Like I watched uh, a little video on TikTok not too long before this, uh, we started the show, uh, RG3. And it was a little clip from his podcast oh. talking about um, Jay Gruden, Jay Gruden, man. And like how he kind of did oh. him dirty and stuff. And it's like, whether whether that story is fully true or not, that's something you would have never heard. You would have never heard that before, like the the days of where this became a thing, where podcasting, where everybody had this platform if they wanted it. And you know that's what's great. That's what's great about what Cam Newton does and Pat McAfee. That's what's uh, great about what he does because you hear so many like behind the scenes stories. Or uh, and I love listening to that stuff because I feel like it gives context to. To some things whereas fans when we see stuff like we don't really understand this or understand why this is that way you know because i think from watching a game as a fan you you just see the the game on the field without really any consideration for the fact that you know these are this is these are 60 grown men that are spending months and months together like these are relationships that need to be at least strong enough to function together i mean very closely together uh these guys share a locker room everything else like We've all had, at some point in time in our lives, roommates, things like that. Like, shit gets tense sometimes, you yep. know what I mean? It gets awkward and uncomfortable and when you're around people too much. And, you know, so I think that, you know, to kind of get a little bit of a look into some of that stuff and how those things were managed in different situations, I, I find that really interesting. I do, too. And that's what I think sells right now, which is why we're going to try to get a lot of these guys on the show, want to hear some behind the scenes. But honestly... I think the behind-the-scenes stuff is fascinating. Whenever you talk about it from your perspective as a high school coach, to me that's fascinating because it's something that many people don't have that perspective. They think to themselves, I've been watching football forever. I know what's best. No, you don't. You don't know everything that goes on in that locker room. And we've given shit to coaches like Arthur Smith. Now, I think we were right about that because he got fired, didn't know what he was doing from everything we saw on the field, but we also don't know the relationships that he had with the players. Maybe there was some team-specific thing that they were all in agreement upon about this is what we're going to do. We don't know. The insight, though, I think is is interesting, and I think Jason Kelsey is tangentially part of that for for his part in the whole Travis Kelsey, Taylor Swift stuff, which would be interesting to see if Travis Kelsey retires after next year and then he's no longer dating Taylor Swift, will the Kelseys be this interesting? My guess would be no, but in today's sports paradigm, you never know. So rounding out wildcard weekend, Texans won, as we talked about last week. Chiefs won against the Dolphins, and the Bills dominated the Steelers in the snowball. That really wasn't the snowball because there was no snow on the field. So that moves into this weekend, which is the divisional round. We have the Texans and the Ravens. So the Texans are the emerging team, kind of like the Jags were last year, and the Ravens are the heavy favorite in the AFC. At least they were coming into the playoffs. Now I want to ask you a question about this. Who has more pressure on them, the Ravens or the Texans, to win this game? Because I think that all the narrative right now is can Lamar Jackson and the Ravens win in the playoffs? Because to date, they have not been able to. Yeah, the pressure's on the Ravens for sure. I mean, the, the Texans are playing with house money this year. They have nothing to lose. Everybody talked about it. Everybody expected them to be terrible, absolutely historically terrible. And they've been anything but that. So I think that the pressure's absolutely on the Ravens. And my question to you is, do you think that the Ravens are laser-focused this time and the Texans, while a great story, 
just do not have the firepower to hang around with the Ravens. And this is not their year. The Ravens are just too good for this. Because that's kind of the way I think that John Harbaugh, seeing his brother win a national championship, is like, hey, look, can't lose in the first game. We need to at least make it to the AFC Championship. We've got to win this game. Yeah, John Harbaugh is a veteran coach. He's won a Super Bowl before. He knows what it takes. Um, I, for them, I think the biggest thing is getting some of these younger guys or younger guys that have been in the league for a few years, like Lamar, to kind of turn that corner. Um, you know, it's time, like, haven't been here before, haven't played in these types of games is no longer an excuse anymore for someone like Lamar. So he's got to get over the hump. Um, you know, if he really wants to be known as one of the one of the great quarterbacks in the league right now. And I think that really, I mean, I think midnight's about to strike, right, for Cinderella um, as in the Texans. And so um, I think they give a formidable effort, but I do think that the Ravens are laser-focused, and this is where the road ends for Houston. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. Quick, uh, quick question for you. If they were to both retire right now, who would you say will go down as the better coach, John Harbaugh or Jim Harbaugh? I think publicly, like without without anyone looking at like numbers, I think they would say Jim just because his personality kind of has him in the media a little bit more. And let's, I mean, I think some of these, these big time college coaches, like these top, you know, these major top five, 10 jobs in college football, I think are more, there's more celebrity to having those jobs than there is to being the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys or whatever in most cases. Um, you don't see a lot of, there's not a ton of personality amongst NFL coaches. Um, I mean, maybe a little here or there, you know, like I think, uh, you know, Mike McDaniel you know, has got a, a guy that's got some personality to him. It's a little different than what we're used to seeing. But, um, you know, these these college coaches sort of, uh, they are the program where it's more about the players at the NFL level. So just, I think publicly they would say Jim. I agree with you, but I think that John Harbaugh has the better resume because I think being an NFL head coach for that long in a league that moves on so quickly from their talent, and the Ravens have been consistently good pretty much the entire time he's been there, and he's reinvented himself. When they drafted Lamar Jackson, that was a completely different mold of quarterback than we'd ever seen, and you could be you could make the argument that they have adapted to that, and so I kind of wonder at like, at the dinner table at Thanksgiving at the holidays, is there a little bit of weirdness, do you think? Because Jim Harbaugh wants to win that Super Bowl and the national title is not enough. So in in his own household, he's got to be, I don't want to say jealous, but man, he's got to feel something, right? The fact that Jim made it to one Super Bowl and got beat by John. Yes. Um, I mean, so that right there, I guess, if you just want to look at that one game where they went head to head, John got the best of them. Oh, man. I don't even want to know. Not having a sibling rivalry in that way, I don't know what that feels like, but I can only imagine. So uh, rounding out Saturday, Packers traveling to San Francisco to face the 49ers. 49ers are 9.5-point favorites at home. I forgot to mention the Ravens are also 9.5-point favorites at home. This one's interesting because, again, another game where the Packers playing with house money, nothing to lose. But this is an interesting narrative because... Brock Purdy and the 49ers have been talked about a lot this season because they're good, and the the debate has been whether Brock Purdy is actually good. I feel like Brock Purdy needs to come out and ball out in this game, or else the questions and the pressure is just going to ramp up for him because I feel like his career is on this weird in this weird place where he's almost like walking a tightrope. 
because nobody really knows unequivocally whether he's good or not. Yeah, I get what you're saying. And uh, I don't even know if, if winning some of these games is, would do it for him. I don't even know if winning a Super Bowl would do it for him. Honestly, I mean, wait, really? I, I think it's really hard for guys that are that get that game manager tag to like shake it. I mean, does, does anybody think you know historically that Trent Dilfer was a great quarterback? No, you know? I mean, it's so that's what I'm saying. Like, you have these guys that have won Super Bowls. You know, Brad Johnson in Tampa or, or Kerry Collins and with the Giants that one. I mean, I I don't know if if you can shake that, you know, because I think especially in the case of the 49ers where you've got Christian McCaffrey and you've got these great receivers and you've got um, Kyle Shanahan, you know, the wizard. And I, I don't know that there's just too much talent around him, I think, for him to get much credit. And I'm not saying that's fair and I'm not saying that he isn't a star, but it's like I think it's hard to go from the perception that's existed as a game manager and to, to change that. It's really tough to shake that. I agree. But last year, as the seventh-round pick, third-string quarterback, he really had nothing to lose last year. If they lost in the first game, everybody would have thought, well, they're playing with their third-string quarterback. And just a year later, now he's the guy, and he's got this massive spotlight on him. He seems like the kind of guy that that wouldn't bother him. I mean, in on his bye week, he went back to Iowa and plowed fields for his family, so he seems like a pretty grounded dude. But the pressure element is so interesting because I think everybody's going to be focused on how does Brock Purdy look? We all know that the rest of the talent is good, but he's the one question mark, and you have a team coming in with nothing to lose. I still think that the 49ers are fundamentally better start, you know, top to bottom from the Packers, but there's always that, that element of danger with a team like the Packers who looked so good on the road, and you think, could they do it again with a young quarterback and Matt LaFleur? possibly proving that he's actually a decent head coach now that Aaron Rodgers is out of there. A lot of fun narratives in this game for me personally. Yeah, and the fact that Brock Purdy is the question mark is not based in reality. It, that's just based off of perception. Um, you know, Brock Purdy has already been, you know, he is a great quarterback. He has performed at a high level throughout the duration of this season. There's no denying that. Um, I think that the 49ers roster is better from top to bottom. Uh, I think if the Packers lose this game, you could still chalk their season up to a successful one. And, I mean, of course, though, you get this close. You're like, man, we were just a couple wins away. Um, so, I mean, I'm sure they'd, of course, take the win. But uh, there's not going to be any um, – there's not going to be too much heartburn in Green Bay if they don't move on. And I do – but, you know, hey, maybe maybe they can keep this thing rolling, man. Maybe there's, there's a little bit of magic going on there, just like we were talking about uh, with – with the Texans or with the Bucks, So, I mean, we'll see what, what they got for them. But I think that the 49ers have been the best team in the league pretty much from wire to wire this year. Uh, they, they had a rough, like, three-game stretch there for a little bit, but they got back on track. And they're really talented, man, really talented, well-coached. Um, I don't – I would be – I would like to see somebody else just because I feel like they're so, they're so good. It just feels almost automatic they're going to go to the Super Bowl. Um, I like upsets. I like things, things shaking out the way people don't expect. But, I mean, I think the smart money is on the 49ers this week. <laughs> <laughs> the 
kiss of death uh, if you're 49 You heard fan. it here first. Put your money on the Packers as soon as humanly possible. On Sunday, Bucks traveling to Detroit and MCDC in the Elements outdoors, and it's going to be a tough game for the old Lions. But the Lions, I think, six-and-a-half-point favorites at home. I believe it's the biggest home what's the word I'm looking for, favorite that they've ever been in their playoff history. So that's an intriguing game. I I know that the Bucks are a nice story, but the Lions are just right now playing really, really well, playing well behind Dan Campbell. And I think the Bucks are, like the Packers, a nice story, but I don't think they're as talented in some places. But you never know. Baker has a chance to continue this redemption story. I just really like the Lions because I think a lot of things have fallen their way with having a home game this week, they don't have to play in Dallas again. And I just think that the Bucks story is going to end here. Let's well document it how much I, I like the Lions and Dan Campbell and what they've got going on. Um, but I won't, be, Lions fan. I won't be upset uh, no matter how this game shakes out because, you know, we've got the Baker thing we talked about earlier. Either way, I think it's a feel-good story no matter who wins this game. So, um, you know, I'm not going to be too broke up about how it turns out one thing though that i don't think you can overlook is the fact that the lions played in a pretty emotional game last week you know obviously first home playoff game and however long all the emotion wrapped up in uh the stafford return and the jared goff versus the rams and everything else and and sometimes that takes a lot out of a group and so it'll be interesting to see how how they rebound because i'm sure there's going to be a lot of excited people um for this game this weekend in Detroit, but it's not going to have quite the same vibe that last week's game had. And, um, you know, if that energy's a little less, are, you know, are the Lions able to bring their own energy to compensate for it a little bit and stay focused and uh, avoid that sort of emotional hangover that happens in these, in these situations? Could make the argument that getting over the hump and winning their first playoff game could actually catapult them a little bit even though it was emotional but I agree that that could be a factor but if Dan Campbell is who we all know that he is he's going to have the troops rallied and Todd Bowles same thing because he's definitely an unflappable kind of guy Dan Campbell is like the exact opposite emotionally from him so you're going to have two different coaches two different teams here I just really like the Lions I think they're a good story but as you said if Baker wins I'll be happy for Baker also And rounding out our coverage on Sunday is what I guess they're considering the game of the weekend. Chiefs at Bills, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes again, this time in Buffalo where Mahomes is playing his first ever road, true road playoff game that is not a neutral site. Bills are two and a half point favorites at home. Weather in Buffalo can always be iffy, but obviously the Chiefs just came out of sub-zero temperatures. So both these teams are going to be ready to play. This is a game that Bills fans are going to be ready for. Bills Mafia is going to be jumping through more tables than they ever have been because the Bills and Josh Allen need to beat Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs when it matters the most. And Mahomes has this knack for being able to do everything that he has to do to win in those moments. But th- So this game has a lot of intrigue for me, and it's very possible that the winner of this game could go on to win the Super Bowl. So first of all, I'm tired of the Chiefs, man. Like I'm just ready for them to go go bye bye. I, I don't disagree. Bit. Don't disagree. <laughs> I'm just saying that Mahomes, they seem to be able to do the thing that needs to be done, no matter what. No matter whether Andy Reid has 
icicles hanging off of his mustache or whatever. Like they seem to be able to do it. That's all I'm saying. I think uh, one thing the Bills have going in their favor is the last couple seasons, I feel like there were some higher expectations that kind of hovered over them throughout the year. Uh, this year, at least nationally, I feel like they've kind of floated under the radar a little bit, um, which which could be a benefit. You know, maybe there's just a little less national pressure. You're not in the, the media as much. Um, obviously, this game being in Buffalo is going to be helpful. I, I I don't know, man. I just I don't have any logical or like tangible reason. I just got a hunch about the Bills. Um, I got a hunch about the Bills going in. I think it's just for those things I said, you know, that they've kind of flown under the radar a little bit compared to the past couple of years. Maybe they're they're a little more focused. You know, they've Josh Allen's been here a couple of times, and it's like, you know, maybe it's like time to get serious sort of thing. Or, you know, he's not going to make the same mistakes he did when he, you know, when he was younger. Um, I don't know. Just got a feeling about the Bills. And obviously for that feeling to come to fruition, they're going to have to get things done Sunday night. Yes, they are. Now, Josh Allen threw 18 interceptions this year in the regular season, which is interesting, but none of that matters if Josh Allen plays the way that he has played at the end of the season, not turning the ball over. Bills are very, very dangerous. I just think with the crowd, they're motivated. They, ha- in my opinion, have all the momentum, but the Chiefs are the Chiefs, are the defending champs, and as Ric Flair and John Cena used to say, if you want to beat the man or you want to be the man, you got to beat the man, and that's what the Bills have to do this weekend. Now, we did have a prediction in the chat here as our Pacific Northwest friend, who obviously isn't biased in any way, has the 49ers losing to the Packers this week, and he's got the Bucks beating the Lions. So he's got the exact opposite of some of the things that we have talked about. But definitely the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, right. Exactly. The Milwaukee Bucks over the Detroit Pistons in one of the games this weekend. So a couple of hit a couple of things to talk about before we wrap this up. In coaching news, Bill Belichick just finished his second interview with the Falcons, so Uncle Barry will have a great time next year as Bill Belichick may maybe slightly knows how to use some of those things better. But it's interesting because I feel like BB probably still has a little bit left in the tank, but is he the kind of fit for the new age NFL anymore? I don't know. It just doesn't feel like Atlanta to me, man. Like Bill Belichick and the Dirty Birds? Come I know. on now. I know. It's just going to be very, 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 very awkward, but... It's the kind of thing that Arthur Blank, I think, would do after the disaster of Arthur Smith. And it's just interesting because have you seen the memes going around about Belichick being asked by the Falcons, name a time when you've had to overcome adversity, and he just shows 28 to 3? I mean, hello. <laughs> I have not seen that, Come but on. that's great. You know, it is great. So there's that. Jim Harbaugh, as we talked about earlier, has interviewed, I think, with now two NFL franchises. I think one of them was the Raiders, and they just picked up Antonio Pierce. They made him, went from interim to the head coach. Harbaugh, to me, feels like a wild card. He could stay. He could not stay, but he is trying to negotiate. I don't know how true this is to stay at Michigan, but without being fired for all the stuff that's happening there. And I'm thinking, if ever there were a time to negotiate something like that, it's on the heels of winning a national championship. I'm like, that's a baller move. Well, my thought, though, is like if you didn't do anything, you know, I feel like you didn't do anything wrong and that you guys are innocent, which he has said, and Mm -hmm. um, at least innocent, you know, why why would you even have to to go there? It it just feels a little weird to me if it's true. We have been Michigan apologists for the last couple of months with all this stuff, but I agree with you. It's kind of a weird look, but... In my opinion, his agent's like, look, dude, if you want to stay here, 
want to make sure that you're not going to get fired. So we're going to try to ask them because you can't get what you don't ask for. So it's just well, an, put, someone just puts in their contract. You cannot fire me for any reason. <laughs> hey, look, uh, our former president recently said that president should never be prosecuted for anything. So I guess if they're seeing that Harbaugh's like, hell, I'm going to ask to not be fired. I mean, I don't want that. Everybody who has a job that's watching this right now, just go and ask your bosses, look, just put it in my contract. I don't want to get fired. And I think it's a baller move. We'll see what they say. Bill O'Brien, no longer with the Patriots, he's the new offensive coordinator of Ohio State. That's a fascinating move to me because that tells me that after last year, when you and I both knew that offensively Ohio State couldn't get it done, they bring in a guy that they know can run an offense. That feels like a guy that's making a hire that's trying to keep his job. I agree. Um, I'm not saying it's a bad I mean, It's a great hire uh, when it comes to offensive coordinators, a guy that spent time in Alabama, um, has been NFL? a successful college, has spent tons of time in the NFL, has been an NFL head coach, has been a college head coach, got tons of experience. So, um, and maybe that's just what Ryan Day needs. And I mean, because the defense was fine. Uh, they did not have any issues on the defense side of the ball nope. at all. Elite. Um, yeah, and yeah, I mean, was it the was it the scheme, the play calling? You know, I think a lot of it, honestly, was the quarterback. They yeah. were just lacking at the quarterback position. But no, I mean, solid hire, solid hire. I, I, am not a big Ryan Day fan, so I, I'm going to try to diminish it as much as I can. Like I said, a, a panic hire from a scared man. That's my official word. It's just interesting because Bill O'Brien almost feels like above that job for some reason. Being at yeah. Alabama doesn't seem that way because Saban to me has always felt like a pro coach in that way but Ohio State Ryan Day doesn't feel that way and I'm like if I'm Bill O'Brien I'm taking this job thinking like this guy needs me because I've been I mean he he's been Tom Brady's offensive coordinator for God's sake so he's been places and Ryan Day has just been at the tanning booth yeah I just imagine like in the meeting room one day like Ryan Day is like we're gonna do this today this day we're gonna get after it are you okay with that Mr. O'Brien <laughs> that's a good point actually him. that's a really good point are we good bill just want to make sure that we're uh, can i call you bill you, thought, you know what i mean he's probably you're right exactly. he calls him mr o'brien and then cliff kingsbury former arizona cardinals head coach and former college head coach who won nothing with patrick mahomes has been interviewed for the offensive coordinator for the bears now this is interesting last week we talked about what would we do with the bears this high this potential hire caleb williams finally declaring for the draft Man, signs are pointing that he's going to Chicago, don't you think? I mean, if they're trying to do this, but I don't. I tell you what, man. Like, I think King, Cliff Kingsbury is a imposter. I um, agree. I mean, the guy is failed I, upward. Yes, it, which is absolutely bizarre because you know we're talking about guys that should be that won 10, 10, 11 games and should be fired, um, and, and this guy has not accomplished anything, and it's like he's just getting handed good jobs. Uh, not saying that the offensive coordinator position in Chicago is very desirable lately, uh, but uh, interesting. I, I get the angle from the Bears. Sure, it's a it's a kind of a flashy hire just because there is this perception of Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury that's positive uh, on the offensive side of the football. I, I think it would likely uh, appease Bears fans, but you know, I, I I'm not sold on Caleb Williams. Uh, I've expressed that. Yes. And, I'm not either. It's an and it's an attitude thing. I mean, I have a hard time looking past that. Yeah, and, and there's some people that just look at the tools, look at the skill set, and that that's all they need to see. But I have a hard time looking past the other stuff. I know that it has to be a combination of both because you can't always get the high character guys with the high talent. 
Sometimes you have to make concessions when you're drafting and putting together a team. But like a good example of that would be Randy Moss. When he was coming out, he was the guy that everybody thought had all these off-the-field problems. Well, guess what? It didn't matter. He balled out. Straight cash, homie. And the thing is, with Caleb Williams, he seems to have some rawness to his game that people didn't think that he had, and that was exposed at the end of the season. And I think his character, we don't know Caleb Williams, but if you're you're pinning your future success of your franchise on a guy that this guy has been seemingly very vocal about, I don't want to be here or I don't want to go here, is that the guy that you really want to take? And that's why we said last week, the Bears are going to mess this up. And it seems like all signs are pointing to a fraudulent offensive coordinator and a quarterback that doesn't want to be there. Talk to us in five years when the Bears have the number one overall pick again. Oh, for sure. And, I mean, Philly fans boo Santa Claus. Bears fans boo starting quarterbacks. I mean, it's just. That's a a t-shirt right there. I like that one. And rightfully so in a lot of cases. They've just been absolutely punished. at the quarterback position really ever since Cutler left. And, uh, I mean, the Trubisky experiment even was, wasn't was great, uh, especially considering where they drafted him and all the guys that they passed up to take him. But uh, that's well documented. We don't have to rehash that here. We do not, but it's just funny. So those are some of the things that are happening in the world of football right now. Obviously, the transfer portal, Alabama seems like they're getting poached left and right with this 30-day window that's opened up, which is interesting. Isn't that crazy? It is crazy. Now, I did see a take that said that all this is broken because Alabama gets to get poached while all the other teams, yes. or Alabama doesn't get to poach back, and they're kind of sitting a sitting duck right now. And these are the things, when people complain about the transfer portal and things, it's still in its infancy, and I think that changes are going to be made and updates are going to be made when these things happen because it sucks for Alabama that this is happening, but it would happen no matter where you went. But the the caliber of player that they're losing is astronomical. And so Kalen DeBoer is going to take over this job and all these players are going to leave. And no offense to the guys that were on Washington, but the recruits that he had that were going to come to Washington were not going to Alabama until he got there. And so the caliber of player is lower. So it's the, the first season in, in Tuscaloosa is going to be it's going to be rough from the perspective of the way that it has been. Even if they win eight games, that's rough. Isn't it funny how it takes it takes a team like it, a program like Alabama for this to happen? Because this has obviously happened to every team that a coach has left uh, since the portals open um, or been a thing. It takes it happening to an Alabama for for change. You know, not, there hasn't been change. There's been talk of change. But yes. I guarantee you there will be change because this happened to Alabama and there should be change. It is really screwed up that, that you are basically right for the picking, but you don't, you can't go pick from anywhere else other than uh, maybe the spring uh, when the spring window opens up possibly, or kids from Washington since they're opened up or maybe anywhere else where there's been a coaching change that the portal is still open, but uh, it's definitely a little backwards um, in my opinion. I agree. But a lot of times when, the big dogs get hurt by this is when you see change. So yep. that's kind of the way that it works out. I just thought it was interesting, and I agree. I don't know if it's a shorter window, so players have to make a more, a faster decision because three days is a long time. Like, you could think for 29 days, I'm good where I'm at, and then something dumb happens, like at the dining hall or whatever, and it's like, I'm out. 
I'm just going to go transfer. Okay. I might have one more day to go. I don't know how long the paperwork takes, but you get my point. 30 days seems like a long time when it doesn't take that long a lot of times to do anything to make a decision. So we'll see how all of that unfolds. But a lot of things are happening in football right now. We've got a couple more weeks to go. The Super Bowl, I think, is like February 12th or somewhere in that range. So we will be sunsetting football in a couple of weeks and continuing on with INC Live. There's a lot of things happening. College basketball is ramping up. I have, for some ungodly reason, Big Ten basketball where, shocker, a team is about to score 70 points with 10 minutes left in the second half. And I can't believe that out of a Big Ten basketball team. We have baseball on the horizon. Opening day is not that far away. Pitchers and catchers are a month from now. The Olympics are this summer. So we got some stuff to talk about once football is over. But we are going to be hitting you hard with the football coverage from now until the end of the Super Bowl. Coach, do you have any parting wisdom for all of our lovely, lovely people in the chat? Um, Man, I'm just pumped uh, going to the Bradley game tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Uh, One o'clock Central Time. They host Belmont. The Braves are on a little bit of a winning streak, seven in a row. um, Biggest comeback in history? Biggest comeback in history. They were down 23 in the second half of Southern Illinois the other night and came back and won 70 to 69. Uh, Really what caused that, man? I mean, Southern's a defensive first team, and they went into prevent offense in the second half and just tried to kill the shot clock every possession, and it absolutely killed them, man. And uh, and Bradley played very well, and they shot the ball well, which uh, which helped a lot. But Southern didn't do anything to help themselves, <laughs> and uh, w- which was fascinating. So yeah, gonna go take in the Bradley game tomorrow. What's fun for me is uh, our daughter is like, she had the option um, tomorrow to we could drop her to friends on the street, um, wife's best friend, her daughters and stuff, or she could come to the game and. She wants to come to the game. I said, I go hang out with like other girls her age. You know, she's like, I actually really like, I, I like watching the game now. So I'm like super pumped about that. It's a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, picked up some cases The Bradley NIL group Excellent. came out with their own beer. It's okay. <laughs> uh, Brave Brew that's uh, sold locally here in Peoria. And, um, which is neat though. I mean, it, it, they charge like 15 bucks for a 12 pack. So I'm sure probably about half of that goes into the, the NIL uh, hey, fund or whatever. That is okay. It is okay. But a lot of things to look forward to, my man. And I just think that we have a lot of things to build upon from last year. But football is our main focus still. We're kind of a football-centric show during the football yep. season. We love college. And this is the most NFL we've ever talked about. And I kind of like it this way. I kind of like focusing on it at the end of the season spending most of our energy on college because we dig that so much more from an emotional standpoint. So it'll be sad whenever we sunset football, but do not worry, we will be back. So if you want to find us on all the social media platforms at this point, you should know what they are. TikTok, INC Sports, Twitter, Iceman and Coach, Facebook, INC Sports, YouTube, INC Sports. And if you want to find us in podcasting, Iceman and Coach Sports Show and all your podcast apps. And if you're watching on YouTube, Maddie Ice Media Network, MattyIceMedia.com for all the other podcasts that we have. As always, fam, I hope this finds you well, and I hope this finds you safe, and we will talk to you next week. This is Football Friday.
The opinions and viewpoints expressed on INC Sports are those of Matt Freights, Brad Powell, and their guests, and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. INC Sports is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and Brad Powell and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.